2: Totally Football Show, today, arrivederci 2020, as we round up all the festive football news you may have missed or put down to food coma hallucination. From Arsenal winning games, to Leeds embarrassing Big Sam like a reporter with a pint of Bordeaux, to the new money bags, money to Burnley. The movers, the shakers, the circuit breakers. Plus, if you haven't already had plenty from 2020, the most memorable moments of this past year in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power.
3: All professional football has been postponed because of the coronavirus
4: outbreak. The The names on players' jerseys replaced with the words Black Lives Matter.
5: Taking the need before the game to teach generations what it means to be together and help each other no matter what your race.
6: It's that little souvenir of a terrible year. Liverpool are your Premier League champions! Oh my God, almighty! Yes. The pain, the anguish is over! Scotland are through to Euro 2020! Yeah. Lionel
5: Messi has requested to leave Barcelona. This is legit, this is real.
4: Yeah, we in Bayern, we have
0: uh, Robert Lewandowski. You know, Robert Lewandowski. <laughs> I would be fighting him at half There's no getting away from that. I would be swinging punches at that guy.
2: Emma?
5: 90,000.
2: Jack?
0: 90,001.
2: Not too worried about
7: his corners. I mean, not sure anyone can get the head on the first ball
2: for Liverpool, apart from
7: that.
1: Oh, oh it's him. <laughs>
2: Hello to you, listener. Yep, here's where the story ends for 2020 December 30th. As we record this, it's New Year's Eve Eve. And as this year winds down, we're joined by Duncan Alexander. Hello, James. Tom Williams. Hello, James. And Adrian Clark. Howdy. Howdy to all three of you. Later on, we'll be getting some of your favourite bits of 2020 in an especially short section. Uh, but first, there's plenty of news to be catching up on from the last 10 days since our last Totally Show. We've had two whole rounds of Premier League action, Carabao Cup quarterfinals, and now a lot of talk after Man City's clash with Everton was called off on Monday because of a COVID-19 outbreak at their training ground. Talk of a circuit breaker, maybe another little mini pause in the season. Uh, who's got the latest on this? Is it actually a real prospect? It doesn't look like an
7: imminent prospect, um, but the clubs are obviously talking about it. I think that there is not a huge amount of appetite from the Premier League to suspend the season at the moment, but it it does feel a little bit like it felt uh, in the middle of March. Uh, when cases started to rise and and obviously games uh were were called into jeopardy and we've seen that with the Everton Man City game being called off and, and doubts about other matches so although it doesn't look like it's going to be announced in the next couple of days it it is uh concerning the fact i mean you know we know that cases are rising across the country so it's no surprise that that's also happening uh within football um but yeah it's uh, it's it's worrying
2: Right. Uh, Man City's clash with Everton, only the second Premier League game to be postponed uh, this season. Uh, however, nearly 50 matches across the Football League were postponed since Christmas, nine on Tuesday alone. Are we just a, an Arteta positive test away from another shutdown then?
5: Well, I think the, the difference to, to the spring is obviously the, the procedures are in place, the testing is better and the clubs kind of know how to put on a, on a secure match now. But. But it's basically going to boil down to a choice Do you pause the season and try and restart it, which is going to be very hard if they want to do the Euros. Or you're going to end up with a situation like we, to be fair, used to get a long time ago with certain clubs having a massive backlog of fixtures to get through. I mean, my favourite all time was West Brom in 1912, who played on April the 20th the FA Cup final, then on April the 22nd, and then the replay of the Cup final on April the 24th, then on April the 25th, then on April the 26th, then on April the 27th, and then a, a day's break before playing on April the 29th. They didn't win any of those games, which I'm, you know, I'm no sports scientist, but they might have been a bit tired.
4: <laughs> That's incredible. That is, that is unbelievable. I, I, I think the individual managers... Well, Sam Mallardyce made a really good point. He said, look, I'm 66 years of age... I don't particularly feel safe. The last thing I want to do is contract COVID-19 and, and obviously Roy Hodgson is even older and, and he, you know he, ha- he has to be considered in one of the more vulnerable categories. So so you have to think about the individuals. We, it might not be an Arteta type case where he, where someone high profile gets it. It, it. it could be the fact that a high profile name refuses to carry on. It could, be, it could be that, just for their own safety. They say, no, I'm going to step aside because I need to shield a family member, etc. That, that could easily happen, and I'm a little bit surprised it hasn't until this point.
2: Well, the EFL and Premier League say there's no discussions yet about pausing or suspending the season. As, as you say, the, the measures are already in place. The big difference to back in uh, February, March of this year... Uh, and I guess the other question is how much difference it would actually make. Like, How long would you have to suspend it for for the situation to be different in a meaningful sense when you when you started back up again? Fingers crossed anyway that with all due regard to everybody's safety, uh, things do continue because uh, it's pretty good having the football while everything else is is shut down. With that in mind, we're looking back a little bit today on what's been going on since our last show and also forward to the weekend's action. And let's first off catch up on the big stories in the last 10 days Boxing Day Round 15 of the season while Leicester and Man United drew 2-2 and Fulham produced another clean sheet with Saints the big story was the Arsenal-Chelsea game the Saka-Shaka-Laka-Ramalana-Ding-Dong. Arsenal bouncing back from their 5-1 collapse at home to Man City by nudging the baton of crisis club Chelsea's way. Sunday then saw Bielsa's leads out Burnley-Burnley. Jose Spurs tried the same trick with Wolves, only to blow it at the last minute. And in scenes reminiscent of West Brom's laundry room, everyone admiring Big Sam's baggies as they held the champions to a 1-1 draw. Round 16 got underway immediately and featured draws for Palace with Leicester, Chelsea and Villa, and Saints with the Hammers. Burnley beating the Blades, another win for Arsenal, this time at Brighton, and then Leeds, in scenes reminiscent of West Brom's laundry room, finding big holes in Big Sam's baggies uh, for a 5-0 win. Plus, a late late victory for Man United over Wolves, which moved them into second place. Wow. Of course, listener, there's more action coming up on Wednesday night, probably, with Spurs due to host Fulham. And Newcastle up against Liverpool, but that's where we are for now. Uh, Adrian, may I begin by asking you, Arsenal, Mm. back-to-back wins, the kids, a
4: narrow victory at fourth from Bottom Brighton. It's a bold (laughs) new dawn. (laughs) Thank goodness for that. Um, Look, they needed it. Mikel Arteta, I think, probably should have been bolder with his team selections earlier. He was kind of forced into leaving Willian and and Gabriel out and and, and Pe- Pepe's been been sidelined David Luiz was unwell as well so he was kind of pushed into the corner where where he had to play the younger guys and and boy did it work i mean Martinelli and Smith Rowe injected so much fresh energy and movement and and dynamism into the team it was and it and it just sparked everybody it was a great performance against Chelsea 45 minutes against Brighton was just nondescript, nothing happened. It was like the old Arsenal, where everybody was standing still, no movement. But in the second half to their credit, 10 shots on goal, lots of good fast football. And it was Smith Rowe and Saka again at at the forefront. These two kids, let me tell you, are very, very good. And and they're gonna be around for a long, long time. Smith Rowe is obviously behind Saka in terms of stature and and, and development, even though he's a year older. But, but talent-wise, there's not too much in it. I think that, that he, he's in the process of, of proving that he's got the temperament and the game intelligence to to be able to function at the highest level. So, yeah, exciting, much more exciting times for Arsenal, but look, there's plenty more to do.
2: The Chelsea victory ranks for me as, as one of the biggest surprises of the campaign so far, particularly because it came just a few days after Arsenal had been humiliated by Man City in a performance so bad their keeper had to delete his Twitter account.
4: <laughs> yeah, or Runison. I, I don't think we'll be seeing Runison again too soon, sadly. I think he was signed to be a number three and he had an absolute... Stink. What, a left-back but, or something? Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I did feel sorry for Runison.
5: It's also weird when you look around football and the number of sort of former Arsenal goalkeepers that there are first choice at other clubs. Obviously, you know, Martinez... At, uh, at Villa Chesney, at Juve, Ospina in France, um, Fabianski, you know, Fabianski, Vito Malone, um, currently in golf for Monaco. Even Petarček for Chelsea under twenty-three. So you know, <laughs> there's a lot of talent that the club have discarded.
2: But all of whom seem to have upped their game since leaving uh, the Emirates. Yeah, I but they all, probably mostly.
4: they probably weren't they weren't ready to be the number one or they weren't in a position to be number one long term. And it was right for them to move. I just feel that Runison was signed probably as a third choice and that Arsenal had somebody else in mind. Maybe Brentford's David Rea as the number two and it didn't happen. But I'm, I'm genuinely frightened in case Bernd Leno gets injured because R- R- Runison, it wasn't just this game. He was very shaky against Dundalk as well. I think, I think it's really, really important for Arsenal to to sign somebody in the January window to to be a new number 2. And and I know that sounds really harsh on Runison, but I just feel that it's 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 um, he's been promoted above above his ability really at the moment. And just quickly on on che- on that Chelsea game, it was a brilliant performance from Arsenal, but Chelsea were lazy in that game. Frank Lampard was absolutely right to to lambast his team and what stood out for me was the the wingers um, Pulisic and Werner did not want to track back at all. I, thought, I think Arsenal caught Chelsea on a very good day.
2: So one win in five now uh, for Chelsea, who then drew 1-1 with Villa at home. Uh, just after Christmas, uh, they are, Daniel's story pointing out, currently on course for the same kind of number of points they had when Ruud Hullit was their manager in, back in 96-97. Now, you reckon Frank was right to call out his players, Adrian. A lot of people feeling that that was a a step in the wrong direction for a the manager of an underperforming side
4: well, i mean if you i think every manager has the right to to lay into their players particularly when it comes down to effort and and for me it was effort in that game i just felt chelsea believe that the players I'm sure that he prepared them properly I just felt that they their attitudes weren't weren't as switched on as they have been in in other matches and and if a manager can't have, can't have a pop at his players for 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 being work shy then then I think we're you know the modern game is, is is completely ruined isn't it theoretically
5: at Chelsea you can't do that because every time a manager does do that they've lost the dressing room and you know here comes the axe but None of them have been Frank Lampard before, so it's quite an interesting conundrum. But just as an ex-pro agent, I always find it a bit weird when people say the players were lazy, because surely no professional footballer goes out there and goes, ah, just, just take it easy for this game, can't be
4: bothered. It, it, it must be more to it than that. It, it's, it's, subconscious, it's subconscious, really. You just Some some days you feel sharper than others, some days you, you, you're you just hungrier than others. It's It's a very hard thing. To quantify, but it it catches a little bit like a virus. When one or two players are are sluggish in in their approach, then honestly, I've seen it a thousand times. I've played in matches where it's happened. It just catches throughout the team, and everybody everybody gets into that same mindset. And and look, a sharp shock treatment from the gaffer, it it can it can get you out of that. So, uh, but
2: isn't one of the biggest sources of motivation? and making sure that players are intense and not lazy the manager himself so if you if you come out publicly and say well my players aren't can't be asked you my players have not been motivated properly you're the fellow who's there to do that tom
7: for me lampard having a go at his players for not trying hard enough felt like a bit of a cop out i think if you look at chelsea's players particularly some of the new players Yes, Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, uh, you know, we're adapting to a new league, a new country, difficult circumstances, you know, the pandemic, all the rest of it, they're going to need time. But I don't get the sense watching Chelsea, and this goes back to last season, that everyone understands what's expected of them. And so I think when you see Werner wandering around looking a little bit lost, it may be an issue of, of work rate to some extent, but I think it, it is also a sense that this is a player who's trying to find his feet in the team. And I think if if everyone at Chelsea had, if, if the players at Chelsea had a clearer idea of, of what was expected of them and, and if they, if their roles were, were more clearly defined and if they were playing in a slightly more coherent way, I don't think you'd see players wandering around looking as lost as they are. And I, But again, I say that, with the fact that there are multiple caveats um, given this very unique set of circumstances and the fact that Lampard is trying to integrate so many new players into his team.
5: Yeah, and also, uh, you know, the, a lot of the players they brought in are pretty young. Ziyech has has done really well. They play much better when he plays. He's a bit older. And pretty much the only man they can really rely on at the moment is Olivier Giroud, who is very much not young. So, yeah, I think it's a work in progress. And... That's fine for a lot of clubs, but maybe not Chelsea with the amount of money they've spent and the expectations they've got.
7: I mean, one saving grace for Lampard is that because this season is so peculiar, uh, teams can get away with slumps in form and not be detached in the table. We've seen that recently with Everton, who started the season brilliantly. Then f- their form fell off a cliff and they've come back with four straight wins. And yeah, as, as we recorded back in the top four, and I think that will work in the favour of any manager whose team finds itself... 6th, 7th, 8th or on a bit of a bad bad run of form. It only takes two or three games to to
2: turn things around. Hmm. Well, he may also get a little bit more time to uh, work with his players if indeed Sunday's game, which is due to happen against uh, Man City, doesn't go ahead because of Man City's uh, ongoing issues with uh, that outbreak of COVID-19 at their training ground.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And given that City have said that they feel that the outbreak stemmed from a trip to London... And with London and the way it is, you know, if even if they're recovering, they're not likely to want to go to London. This is what makes it a very, you know, unusual, fast-moving situation.
2: Right, much like you know Elvis Costello back in the day, <laughs> don't want
5: to go to Chelsea. I'll
2: just spell that one out for you. Okay, <laughs> Arsenal this weekend will attempt to make it three wins in a row when they make the trip to the Hawthorns to take on West Brom. Wow, let's talk about that next.
0: Welcome back to the ground. Tickets, please. Thank you, madam. And let's see, sir. Oh, sorry. No, you're in tier three. No, I ain't. We're in tier two. We're allowed to be here. You can't take away my freedom. Tier three of the stadium over there. Donut. What? Uh, by the donut stand. Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy Power's offers are at full capacity. If one leg of your four-plus-fold lets you down, get a free bet on all football and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet ten pounds. Min odds one to five on each leg. Online exclusive. exclude. shop bets. T and C's apply. 18+.
1: FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu.
7: This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie K, and the very best football writers around.
2: All right, Adrian, I know you're pumped for this. West Brom against Arsenal. West Brom, we've given us a flash of the old Big Sam magic with that 1 1 at Anfield, but who then got beaten 5-0 on Tuesday night, uh, Sam Allardyce suffering his heaviest ever home defeat in the Premier League. Uh, at the hands of Leeds in this case, he's only had a week in charge. Some people would say that, therefore, that 1-1 at Anfield owed as much to Slovan Bilic, who, after all, had also had a 1-1 away at uh, Man City than, than Sam Allardyce. But, you know... Uh, what's your feeling about west brom as we head into this clash with the gunners
4: yeah that that magic you speak of it sort of just it put it put liverpool into a into a daze didn't it they were just bored silly i think with the attack versus defence it was yeah it was a, it was a very strange performance from liverpool but yeah credit should go to west brom for that but but they were ripped apart goodness me by by leeds united the speed of movement um, was just too much for them and and he's laid into his players, hasn't he? He's basically said that, that they're not good enough and that he'll be looking to bring in upgrades in January. I do wonder how, how that will have gone down in the dressing room. A dressing room that I'm sure would have been quite sad to see Slavin Bilic go. He's the guy, obviously, that steered them towards promotion. So I'm, I'm not, not buying into the theory that, 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 that Slavin had lost the dressing room and that everyone was welcoming Big Sam with open arms. I think that dressing room will feel very, very low ahead of the Arsenal game. We know what to expect, and and against an Arsenal team that struggle to break down low blocks, we, we're going to see a match here where West Brom have about twenty five percent of possession, and Arsenal move the move the ball around all day. Um, it's, yeah, hopefully from an Arsenal perspective, they can they can move it quickly to hurt West Brom. If they don't, then it'll be a tough game for them. Um, Big Sam. Was quite outspoken, wasn't he? I thought it might be a mistake on his part to label Arsenal relegation candidates. Do you remember that a couple of days ago, or just a week or so ago? When asked about Arsenal, he said, "Absolutely, that's well, a terrible impression." <laughs> but, uh, absolutely, <laughs> the, the relegation. Please, <laughs> absolutely, the relegation candidates. I mean, that is that that's going to fire up Arsenal. I think ahead of this game, I'm sure the players will be reminded of that. And and Big Sam. Doesn't have a good record against Arsenal. I've I've looked it up. He's only got a worse record against Man United and Man City. He averages 0.76 points per game um, and has won just six of 34 against Arsenal down the years. So, this sort of um, viewpoint that big Sam teams bloody the nose of Arsenal is kind of, kind of, it's still pretty rare. It's one of those things that gets set in football at a certain
5: point and then people never kind of update it. So basically between 2003 and 2010, he didn't lose a single home game against them, mainly with Bolton, once with Newcastle, once with Blackburn. But yeah, Arsenal did have an issue going to the Reebok when they were in their pomp, but that hasn't been the case since. Or well, They did win with Palace against them at home. So, yeah, I, I agree with it's, it's not Statistically, he's not that great against Arsenal, but, you know, metaphorically, he is. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> wow. And since we're talking stats, uh, I think it's worth
7: flagging that uh, in that 5-0 defeat against Leeds uh, that West Brom suffered, Leeds' XG was only 1.34. So it mm. wasn't like West Brom took an absolute pacing. If you look at the goals... We had an all-time great Premier League own goal by Romain <laughs> yeah. Sawyers. Mm. A couple of absolute worldies uh, from Alioski and Rafinha. A really nicely worked goal that Jack Harrison scored and then another goal that I've forgotten. So, yes, a very heavy defeat. Sam Allardyce's heaviest ever home defeat in the Premier League. But there was perhaps a little bit more to it than met the eye.
2: Right, the biggest Romain own goal since 2016, a lot of people were <laughs> calling it. <laughs>
5: I think for fans of football philosophy, the Leeds win was was quite important because um, as much as you could admire West Brom's display at Anfield, it was very much you know negative football. Um, it was very much the Big Sam knows how to kind of overcome these these foreign tacticians. Um, so seeing kind of Bielsa, who's kind of the literal opposite in many senses, go to go to the Hawthorns and, and run amok was was quite pleasing. Um, obviously, then. You know, Leeds, an incredibly attacking team on the pitch, possibly the overly defensive off it, given what happened after the match.
2: Well, you'll probably enjoy Leeds' next match, which is coming up on Saturday, and sees them visit another of the great tacticians, Jose Mourinho and his Spurs. We'll get onto that very, very shortly, but just to rumble through the 17th round of the season, kind of chronologically, it gets underway on Friday with two other interesting games. Everton taking on West Ham memory lane, David Moyes, all that, and Man United, Villa. Everton, who had moved into second place on the back of four straight Premier League wins ahead of that cancelled game with Man City. Man United have taken over second spot for now, but they haven't conceded, Everton, a goal from open play in the Premier League since switching to that back four entirely made of centre-halves. They've also brought back Sigurdsson to great effect. They did have, as Tom was mentioning at the start, Uh, a run like this at the beginning of this campaign and then they looked absolutely rotten not long after. So can we take them seriously this time? Uh,
7: Against West Ham, yeah, I think so. I mean, as you say, fantastic form of late, four straight wins, extra time to prepare um, after the postponement of their game against Man City. Might be able to uh, welcome some players back. I know Richarlison was expected to miss that game because of the concussion a protocol that he's following so maybe he'll be able to come back in and yeah I think it's interesting that this this shift to a, a back four exclusively of centre-backs has enabled them to, to stop letting goals in and I think it's worth pointing out that although they are all centre-backs Holgate and Godfrey who've been filling in as full-backs, they're quite athletic centre-backs, they're quite modern centre-backs it's not like you know sort of for old school '80s cloggers, um, you you watch them and, and they don't they don't stick out as centre backs. Um, but yeah, you know, fair play to, to Carlo Ancelotti for for having found a solution in the absences of Seamus Coleman and, and Luca Dean, and and fair play to Holgate and Godfrey for for stepping in and stepping
2: up. And Sigurdsson.
7: Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't see him playing all that often this season when, you know, it, the, the clear priority that Everton had uh, during the summer transfer window was to re-dynamise their midfield. And it was a midfield that was in desperate need of, of shaking up. And it looked like that sort of trio of Allen and Abdullah Dukouray uh, and Andre Gomez would be pretty set in stone for the, for the season. Uh, but yeah, Sigurdsson's come in and, and done very well. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think the fact that Everton... Have have already had a great run of form and then completely collapsed and then come back to have another great run of form it does make you wonder how sustainable this is? Mm. Um, but they've been really impressive the last few weeks.
4: Yeah, and and I think they they're, they're going to have to be a lot more efficient because what's happening with this change of system, understandably, is that they're creating fewer opportunities. They're not they're not spending as long putting teams under pressure inside the final third. Whereas Dominic Calvert Lewin. When James Rodriguez was on fire, was maybe getting three, four, five chances a game. We're not seeing that at the moment. So, so there's a real reliance on them being uh, ruthless when they get the opportunities, and obviously punishing teams from set plays, which is they've got a huge strength at set plays at the moment because of those four centre backs, because of Rashalison and Calvert Lewin and Dakura. They're all massive, aren't they? One of the biggest teams in the in the division, um, but that might not be so important against West Ham, who are pretty tidy at set pieces themselves.
0: Mm.
2: West Ham have drawn three of their last four matches. This match, as I mentioned, sees David Moyes go back to Goodison. He's never won there as a visiting manager, you know. Just uh,
7: just briefly on West Ham, uh, Mikael Antonio made his return from a, I think it was a hamstring injury in their game at Southampton. And he's obviously very important for them. And I think the fact that he has been absent for this slightly sticky runner form that they've had of late isn't any coincidence because they're a completely different team. When he's there, so that'll be a boost. Not sure whether he's fit enough to start, but at least he uh, is—he's fit again.
5: Just one point on Sigurdsson. I think he really thrives when he's not the main person in a team. When he's kind of like everyone's looking to him to be the to carry a team, he seems to to struggle a little bit. But you know, he's come back into the Everton team, and the sort of pressure seems off his shoulders. His penalty against Chelsea—the no look penalty—is one of the best moments of the season for me. So, yeah, it's it's good to see him back.
2: Fascinating. Looking forward to hearing the rest of your best moments of season so far. <laughs> later on. Uh, later on, actually, on Friday night, as I mentioned January 1st, it's Man United against Villa, which is ever so exciting. United have moved up into second place behind Liverpool. Villa, though, are on the fringes of the top four with games in hand galore. And they are the team that beat Liverpool 7-2 in undoubtedly one of the highlights of 2020 for Duncan and, and, and many of us. It is 11 years since Villa have managed to get a win at Old Trafford, or indeed anywhere against Man United. Crikey, that's a long time. Uh, they held Chelsea to that 1-1 draw back on Tuesday. What, what do you think of what do you think of this one? Also, Man United
4: looking really consistent, unbeaten in nine in the Premier League. What's going on there? I think it's going to be a really exciting game. I do. I I, really, I love Villa at the moment. They've got great balance in their team. Very solid goalkeeper, of course. Second best save percentage in the division out of all the sort of regular number ones, just behind Nick Pope. And um, the back the, the back four is is solid. Um, midfield Douglas Louise has, has made a tremendous difference protect, protecting that back four. And and I'm really enjoying this renaissance from El Ghazi. Five goals in five games. A player that didn't get his first start until mid December. Quite remarkable, really. And 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 what. What's happened here is with Barkley being out, they've changed from 4-3-3 to 4-2-3-1. El Ghazi likes it on the left. He's right-footed, but he likes it on the left. He's offering great balance and it's brought Jack Grealish into a central area. And, and the pair of them, I mean, Duncan probably is, is across this. Grealish has made 22 chances in the last four games. From the number ten position, I mean, he's the, he, he's been brilliant all season, so that's not a huge surprise, perhaps. But El Ghazi, who had to wait for his first start, remember, till mid-December, has had twenty-three shots in those four games. It's just, it's just, it's just crazy, really, uh, and it's and it's great to see. And I think down the left, Villa can make hay against United because Target's playing well, McGinn on the left of midfield sharp. Um, Grealish drifts left and, and El Ghazi's on fire. So keep your eye on that on that portion of the game because I think I think they can hurt them there.
5: Well, so like Chouari as well. He's been quite good at just beating players, be, you know, breaking the lines. And I think that's something that Villa do so well this season. And last season they didn't at all. I mean, they've already scored more goals this season than they did the year they went down in 2015-16. So.
4: Yeah, it's going well. I love mm. that P roller finish at the Hawthorns. It was just genius, wasn't it? From from okay. That 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 was among my favourite moments of, of twenty <laughs> twenty. Right. So erratic well, it, though. What a tall, year right? it's the been. The game, the game against um, the game against Wolves
7: when Villa won one nil. I thought was just summed him up perfectly. Traore. The first half, he was awful. One of the most uh, lamentable collections of first touches you've ever seen. I mean there was one, but we tried to play a first time pass, kicked the ball against his own chest. Uh, and ends up sending it the wrong way and then right at the end of the half he brought the ball down on the edge of the Wolves penalty area with like the outside of his foot in mid-air and flicked it over an opponent in the in the same movement. One of the most sublime uh, <laughs> touches of a football that I've seen in the whole year. And he, he is that sort of player. He is your kind of classic mercurial winger. I mean, you know, Leon were, were quite happy to get shot at him. He wasn't getting in the team. He didn't feature at all. But he has shown in the last few weeks what a dangerous player he can be when you give him the ball uh, in the right sorts of situations. And just to add to what Adrian was saying, I think the fact that Dean Smith has been able to change the team in recent weeks, bringing in El Ghazi, bringing in Traore, moving Grealish into the middle, um, and the fact that Villa have carried on picking up points, and actually I think that their current run of form is about as well as they've played all season, I think that is is, uh, a good sign for Villa, because you, you might have looked at the early season results and thought, okay, well perhaps this is just a sort of flash in the pan bit of early season form, but the fact that they're still picking up Results, they're still picking up clean sheets and the managers able to make changes to the team here and there suggest that there is something really solid there that will see them through to the end of the season.
5: They've got cash target in their defence, but they've been a lot less charitable than they were last season. (laughs) Uh, So
2: they've got the best away defence in the Premier League, actually, I notice. But they have had a long, long time since they managed to get a win against Man United. And just briefly on United, have they, are they now? Is it? Possibly. I, st-
7: I still don't know. I mean, the evidence... Nine of, games uh,
2: unbeaten in the Premier League. They're through to the semi-finals of the, of the Carabao Cup as well.
7: Yeah, I mean, you, you can't ignore that evidence. They're two points off Liverpool in the table um, and they've beaten some good teams. I just tend to think they, they, they tend to give teams a chance. We know how often they've had to come from behind. They really laboured to beat Wolves. The Wolves were quite unfortunate to lose in the end Well Wolves were fantastic first half and then as has been the case ever since they lost Raul Jimenez they just couldn't uh, take any of the chances they created, and and they gradually faded out of the game, and and Marcus Rashford pops up at the end, Bruno Fernandez with another fantastic assist. But I, I still think there is a bit of vulnerability to United. There, there's something a bit gettable about them, but you you can't um, you can't deny the the way they're playing. You can't deny the results they're getting. And if this
4: continues, I think you have to consider them as title contenders. If, if United fix their off the ball work, they're contenders. But if if they carry on in this same plane, there's, there's too much at the moment. They need three goals to win games, and and that that definitely isn't sustainable. Well, but they didn't.
2: They, they didn't on Tuesday.
4: Well, they didn't. No, that was a different type of game again against Wolves. You're right. But um, but no, in in general, they're they're, they're leaking All too right. many. You
2: know. Okay. Well, they are through to the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup. We'll get a quick word on that the tournament. Those quarterfinals from last week and. A big throw forward to Spurs Leeds next. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Carabao Cup quarterfinals. Man United beat Everton. They're going to take on in the semi finals, which should be in the first week of January. Uh, they're going to take on the Man City side that eviscerated Arsenal. Spurs, meantime, saw off Stoke, and they'll get the Brentford team that beat Newcastle. Hmm. These will be one off semi finals. Uh, the final has been rescheduled to the 25th of April in the hope that some fans may be able to turn up. And the winner, of course, will be, excitingly enough, included in the UEFA uh, Europa Conference League, which is new. It's
7: unfortunate that in the UK, the conference already has a football meaning and not a positive one. No. I suspect around Europe well, it's well, just well, you know another another
5: word.
2: I don't think the word conference is a positive like, I'm going to the conference It
5: doesn't have a glamorous centre. meaning, no. does it? No. Um, mm. Quite you the opposite. Didn't see, you didn't see Wickham stroll to the title in 1992, 1993, clearly. So.
2: Anyway, Adrian, Brentford, this is their first major semi-final in their entire 131-year history.
4: Yeah, it's it's a remarkable run for them and and it's much deserved. They, they, they wiped the floor with Newcastle, really, didn't they? And they, they did so with an understrength side. Mm-hmm. So so this is Brent Brentford, I would imagine, will will pick their their A team against Spurs. But yeah, they can't be underestimated. Very positive, attack-minded team. Lots of talent in forward areas. Um, but for me, defensively, they're actually weaker than they were last year. And and I'm not I'm not actually convinced that they'll get promoted. From the championship, I, th- I think they might have been a-, a little bit stronger twelve months ago. But but on a one-off game, if Spurs aren't at it, mm. Brentford have a chance.
2: Okay, they've already knocked out four Premier League teams this season, which is not bad going, particularly given how many of their top stars they've sold off to Premier League outfits. Anyway, you can hear more about the bees in the Totally Football League show, which is out uh, sometime around now, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, and also in that show, of course. They'll be touching on the big shock news at Sheffield Wednesday. Tony Peel is sacked after just 10 games in charge. Let's move on, though, to Spurs, who have a very intriguing clash with Leeds coming up on Saturday lunchtime, 12.30. Leeds very much on a hot streak right now. Spurs, meanwhile, with this growing feeling among many observers that there's a bit of a tactical issue uh, particularly in their second-half performances where they lie very much bottom of the Premier League in terms of shots attempted?
7: Yeah, I mean, they they landed on a very successful formula in the first weeks of the season was in that they would score early, and I think they still, um, over the course of the season, have scored more goals in the first 30 minutes of matches than pretty much anyone except for Man City, I think. And then they would sit back and, and pick teams off on the counter-attack, and it, it worked brilliantly. Uh, and what's been happening... Of late is that they're still scoring, um, but they're just not building on that. We saw that uh, in the game at, at Palace, we saw that in the game at Wolves, and it, you kind of feel like teams have figured them out a little bit. And uh, yeah, I thought Mourinho's uh, interview after the Wolves game was an absolute Mourinho classic. He was asked about four different questions and replied to all of them by saying, Oh, you know, I, I probably, you know, I can't answer this, sort of making it seem that he was. Uh, you know, defending his players despite the fact that they had disappointed him in, in, such, in such a grave way. But I think the fact that this pattern keeps repeating itself suggests that, OK, maybe there's an element of fatigue and Premier League players just across the board do look in extremely tired and leggy at the moment. But I think that, you know, it, the fact that this isn't only happening every now and again, but week after week, that, that for me is a clear
5: sign that it's a, a managerial failing as well. Yeah, you're totally right about the, it's too cautious. I mean, if, you, if we remember what Mourinho was famous for at Chelsea in his first spell, it was going 2-0 up and then defending, and that works, because as we know, 2-0 is not a dangerous lead in the slightest. Well, controversy
2: klaxon. Mm.
5: But then it seems to have been sparked by the slightly more dangerous 3-0 lead, because that West Ham game when they were 3-0 up and then drew 3-3, Mourinho does seem to have, you know, gone into his laundry basket and back to basics and so
4: yeah, I've got a stat. Um, I did a piece on Spurs earlier in the week, analyzing this this change of style or the style that he's implemented. And, and I threw it back to, to Pochettino, kind of peak Pochettino, let's call it 2017-18, where they had 27 touches inside the opposition box um, per match. It's down to 17 touches inside the box per match. Now that's, you know, that's a huge 36% drop. Uh, they're, sev- they're ranked 17th, by the way, for, for, for touches inside the opposition box. And, and in terms of chances created from open play, um, a 42% downturn since 2017. You sound 18. like Mikel Arteta. Yeah, I do a little bit. but although <laughs> ho- Hopefully my maths makes a little bit more sense than Mikhail's, <laughs> because, yeah, I, I didn't get where he was coming from there. But you get my drift. They're sure. very, very reliant. On converting chances, and they've been brilliant at it this season. That they have to start finding a way to 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 ask more questions of opposition teams, um, because the goals will dry up.
2: Well, the curious thing is that here they're taking on Leeds, who themselves showed a, a slightly unexpected kind of chameleon esque tactical approach in their clash with Burnley when they went a goal up and then defended it in a kind of classic Jose fashion. So we know Bielsa can change, can move. What do you think? No, <laughs>
7: <laughs> is my answer to that. I, mean, I, think, I think this will be the most interesting game of the weekend in many ways, in that we, we know what to expect. We know that Leeds will attack because that's what Leeds do. I mean, yes, they, they played within themselves against Burnley, but that was having taken the lead and sort of trying to see the game out, I think. We know that Spurs will defend and, and look to hit Leeds on the break. And I think if if Spurs can get uh, an early goal, as they have done quite frequently this season, and then withstand the, the barrage of Leeds attacks, I I I, I do think there is... Um, You know, there's a way for Spurs to win this game, but there is also uh, a danger of them being completely swept away because if if Leeds play with the sort of verve uh, and the sort of uh, attacking impetus that we've seen from them of late uh, in that game against West Brom and the game against Newcastle, even the game against Man United, when they got thrashed at Old Trafford, um, then they they could get a result here.
2: Mourinho's won all four of his meetings with Marcelo Bielsa, although those were all back in La Liga when he had Real Madrid and Bielsa was running athletic Bill is a slight mismatch you might feel, or perhaps that's the equivalent of Spurs against Leeds. I don't know. What do you think? Do you share Tom's optimism from Spurs' uh, point of view, Duncan?
5: I mean, part of me thinks the Kane and Son has not really done much recently. I mean, Josh Brownhill at Burnley's had more shots than Son in December, which possibly isn't ideal for Tottenham. So, I mean, this is the game where they, they could click back into life. I mean, the, the question no one's really... Addressed at Spurs is Gareth Bale. You know, they're paying him a lot of money and he's not, he scored one goal in the Premier League and done a bit in the Europa League, but you know, um, did okay who, against who Stoke. Who
4: would have thought he'd spend a lot of the seasoning? Yeah. Who, who yeah. I mean, he it?
5: looked okay at Stoke in the, in the Carabao Cup, but you know, they're a championship team and, and then he got injured. So, I mean, they really do need a, a spell of consistency for, from him. I saw Marker were, were being quite scathing to him this morning. Um, what did they not say sure They were genderous. They were just saying, ha ha, we were right, Tottenham
4: was wrong. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the game, James. I think, I think it's going to be a cracker. And, and yeah, I, I hope that Leeds play with the same sort of in, enterprise that we saw at the Hawthorns. I just wanted to flag up a player that I think might be one of the most underrated or underappreciated in the league, and that's hmm. Jack, Jack Harrison. Jack, no one really talks about Jack Harrison. But in recent weeks, he's scored two worldies, absolute beauties. Into the top corner, and in terms of creating chances for teammates, um, only three players have uh, have done a better job in the Premier League this season. You might have heard of them: De Bruyne, Fernandez, and Grealish. Jack Harrison is his output on the left-hand side for Leeds is very, very good. And and look, I think Gareth Southgate must be looking at him with a bit of interest because he's got in product.
2: Wow. Leeds have already scored more Premier League goals this season, this from Duncan, than they did in the whole of their campaign in 96-97 under George Graham. Who'd have thought? Anyway, Crazy, but crazy. True. Also on Saturday, well, Arsenal at West Brom, as we mentioned earlier, but also a couple of interesting games. Palace against Sheffield United and Brighton Wolves. Sheffield United, who have now got two points from 16, that's never been done before. Duncan other other numbers that illustrate how far they're off the bottom of the worst team ever charts.
5: Well, I mean up until now, I mean as a lot of people were chanting in the street, um Bolton 1902-03 were the worst starters at this stage with, with 3 points, but um yeah, Sheffield United. It's weird with Sheffield United. Their their xG is um is only fifth worst. They're above Wolves in terms of xG this season. So they're creating chances. They're only losing games narrowly. They've lost 11 of their games this season by one goal. The record in the Premier League is, is 15 in a season, so they've got ample time to, to smash that record. So, yes, they're in an almost unbelievably bad position, but I don't think there is, they're not the worst team in the Premier League. There's still a slight chance they could get out of it. But, but who's, they really, who's
2: worse than them in the Premier League?
5: I would say West Brom are definitely worse. Uh Palace
2: um, worse than them right now? Palace, who who got done 10-0 in two games prior to that 1-1 with Leicester. Palace, who who have talks surrounding the future of their, their manager and suggestions that Eddie Howe might make a belated uh, appearance on the bench for them.
5: Yeah, I mean, Palace have got the propensity to, to collapse, as we said, and their defence isn't good. So if, if they're... If Sheffield United are going to, uh, you know, solve their attacking issues, then this could be finally the game to do it. But yeah, I do feel a bit sorry for them because, you know, they were always going to struggle a little bit this season compared to last year. But no one envisaged this. It Mm. is so weird Sheffield United season, as
7: Duncan says. I mean, they are historically one of the worst teams we've ever seen, but you can't compare them to a, you know, a Derby County. Oh seven, oh eight, or any of the dreadful Sunderland teams um, that that we've seen. I mean, every time I watch them, I think they still look like a good team. They're just missing a goal scorer, uh, and and they let in uh, avoidable goals. But I, for me, there is a, an enormous disconnect between their their performance level and the points they're getting on the board. And yeah, I mean, they 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 do look dead and buried. But at the same time, there is a sort of there's a consistency of performance. I think that that suggests to me that they're not that far away from turning some of these narrow defeats into draws and and then perhaps even into wins
4: eventually. Yeah, what? there's nothing shambolic about Sheffield United, is there? And that is a compliment, really. They they, they won't want it, but but they're not a shamble. So so you've got to give them some chance of of turning it around sooner rather El- than later.
2: Eleven points. Has that ever been done before? Has that escape ever ever been made? 11 points adrift?
5: Yeah, there's been bigger bigger escapes than that at this stage of the season. We're only 16 games in, It's you know. But the, the point is that, you know, 11 points is also the record low in Premier League history with Derby, and that's their first target, I would say, because this team doesn't deserve to be the worst team in Premier League history. Um, I think if they just... Imagine if they kind of start preparing for the Championship, maybe the pressure will go off and they'll start to get some results.
2: Okay. Alex Cooney asks if relegation this year is being driven by the teams that bought the worst in the summer. Uh, Alex mentions Brewster, Ramsdale, and Burke at Sheffield United and the uh, lack of investment at West Brom, but also Lalana at Brighton. Uh, Brighton, who were up against Wolves in the Saturday tea time fixture, would they be in your list of teams that are worse actually than Sheffield United if you don't look at the actual results, Duncan?
5: Not really. I mean, again, their underlying numbers are, are much better than their results suggest. They're, I'm pretty sure Brighton have uncovered some sort of South Downs-based chalk curse because they, <laughs> they're so unlucky. I mean, as Adrian said earlier, they played well against Arsenal uh, at times, um, but then but lost. And they really... You know, everyone could admire Graham Potter's philosophy, but like people did with Eddie Howe's philosophy, but ultimately the greatest philosophy in football is getting three points and um, they really need
4: to do that soon. On Brighton and the philosophy of Graham Potter, I just feel it's it's run out of a little bit of momentum. There was no distinct identity to their performance against Arsenal. Yeah, they contained them very well in the first half and defensively they were strong, but... Throughout the course of that match, there was there was no cohesion in the way that, that Brighton attacked. They didn't look dangerous at all. And it was a very odd team selection as well. He we left out Mopé and, and Welbeck. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm not as convinced that Brighton will end up in the mid-table position that a lot of people feel they, they deserve. There's something not quite right about them at the moment. If you take Eve Bissouma out of that Brighton team, I'm telling you now, mm. they're in big trouble.
2: But they might be in big trouble anyway. They're in 17th place. Not all looking that good for Brighton. They've only had one win at home in the whole of 2020 uh, and must try and get a second one at the start of this new year when they host Wolves on January 2nd. Woof. Uh, Next up, let's talk about a club where there's good news galore, Burnley.
1: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
7: You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power.
1: Sunday's Fixtures listener, possibly
2: Chelsea Man City. Rather more likely that we'll be seeing Newcastle, Leicester and Burnley up against Fulham. Burnley, where a sudden turn of form, one defeat and three wins in the last five games, has lifted the Clarets clear of the bottom three. And it's also been matched by some very interesting developments off the field, too, with talk, as you may have heard this week, of a takeover by American sports investment firm ALK, possibly completing before the game on Sunday with Fulham. What's going on? Let's hear from the Athletics' Burnley correspondent, Andy Jones. Andy, thank you so much for for joining us again. This is crucially, as I understand it, this is the right one of the two consortiums, uh, the the one that featured Mohammed El kashashi and Chris Farnell pulled out of the race last week. These guys are are, 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 are brighter prospects, are they for for the claret? What, what do you think it means in terms of investment and for Sean Dice's position?
3: Well, uh, Alk sort of Capital have uh, throughout have said um, you know Dyce is is a big part of their plans moving forwards, um, and you you know you look at what he's done for the club in his eighth eight plus years. At the helm now, and, and how he's taken them from a championship team to, to a, you know an established Premier League side, and they want to back him. The idea was to be in place for the January transfer market, so that they could, you know, invest. There's not going to be. You know, a bucket load of cash, you are not gonna throw a load of money at it, but you know, it's gonna be a sensible investment. Um but they're gonna to look to try and to try and back the manager. Which is why one of the the key things for them when, when they first come through the door is is to make sure that you know is to get the chance to speak to them. They haven't spoken to him yet. They're not allowed access to the club until they've officially taken over. You know, they, they want to invest and they want to, to try and move and, and take Burnley to that next that next level because I think, you know, as as well as Mike Garlick ran the club and, and, and the, the current board, you know Burnley were run so sustainably and, and very healthily, and the finances show that uh, year on year post and profits. But it, it, it just felt, and you look at the last few transfer windows and, and sort of the lack of investment in the summer you know, only two million spent on, on two players, Dale Stevens and, and Will Norris, when the squad needed a little bit more and Dice was open and sort of said that they needed two or three more. And you know, ALK have, have sort of made it clear that they wanna want to come in and, and try and take the club. To the next step forward, and 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 they, they want to be active in the January transfer market, which is you know, which should fill fa- Burnley fans with a lot of optimism.
4: Andy Sean Dyche has been at pains to say that yeah he he welcomes this news, um, but but has said we need to bring in the right type of players. What are the right type of players for Burnley, and are there any strong rumours you know going around at the moment as to who they might target in January? <laughs>
3: It's, it's very difficult, yeah, because uh, sort of, as, as I said, the the new owners haven't been able to speak today. So, uh, so one of the things Alan Pace did, uh, who who's sort of heading the ALK bid, was he, when he was sort of in discussions over the takeover, he he spoke to the current board about what sort of the January transfer plans were to sort of align strategies, and so he had the best as much knowledge as he could possibly have. So when he comes in, when you know this, you know is all agreed, he can sort of on day one look to, to make things happen and, and, and try and move things forward. You know, it, it's quite clear that Burnley sort of need to strengthen out wide. The Leeds game recently showed that they had no wingers available, all three were injured. Um, and also sort of to bulk up the central defensive uh, units uh, behind sort of Ben Mee and, and James Tarkovsky, they're the two areas uh, I think he'll be targeting. But it's difficult to, to know because now there's new investment, those January transfer plans of the current board will, will probably change uh, a little bit and it might open the door a little bit to to some players who may not have been begettable if that makes sense but they're going to look to be active and try and you know just bulk up the squad because Burnley for, for, for a while now have been you know sort of Running, running on thin numbers and, and injuries haven't helped. if sort of had a continuous flow of injuries, um, which is you look at the bench yesterday, there was a the five sort of first team players missing, and, and when they get them back, the squad looks strong. But just you know, the the idea is to to just make it a little bit stronger to to try and now they've sort of got away from the relegation zone a little bit to try and you know sustain that and and keep them moving in the right direction and, and picking up points.
2: Andy, the, the the remarkable thing is that you mentioned five starters out. Uh, midweek, but this has come against a, a backdrop of this run of form. That's uh, well since that win over Palace in late November. I think it's really only been that hammering against Man City. They've uh, beaten Arsenal. They've they've beaten Wolves as well. What what's been behind that that run of success?
3: I think I mean they've 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 got players back. They started the season with, you know, sort of a number of injuries. I think they had sort of seven squad players out at least. Um you know, Ben Ben Mee has been massive since he's come back in. The he's you know, the the form's drastically changed. James Tarkovsky was struggling with an injury as well at the start of the season. They're both fit, they're both, you know, on top form, Nick Pope behind them. That that sort of is very much the, the, the base and the foundation of Burnley's play and, and they can build from that and it was about them finding the balance and and over the past you know few weeks of um, they've managed to find the balance in terms of keeping keeping their at one end and and, and scoring enough goals because uh, goals were the problem early on, but they've managed to find you know ways to, to get them and and, and Chris Wood and, and Ashley Barnes are coming into a, a bit of form as well. They look a lot more like the Burnley you know and expect, um, which they didn't at the start of the season. There was mistakes creeping in. They didn't really look, you know, just they just looked undercooked a little bit. Um, whereas now they look drop and running and, and Burnley are very much a momentum team. All credit to them and all credit to Dice for you know sticking with them, keeping faith, and and, and the players have, have sort of retained the favour and, and they're looking a lot more in a lot more healthy position in the league and now you know set to be off the pitch as well.
2: Andy Jones, the Athletics Burnley correspondent. Exciting times then, with Fulham arriving this Sunday. Crikey. Uh, now Monday there's a game as well. It's Saints Liverpool. Should we have a quick word about Liverpool? Should we have a quick word about Saints? Saints have gone a little bit off the boil. A 1-1 at Arsenal, a 1-0 defeat against City, then back-to-back goalless draws at Fulham and against West Ham. Is that something that Saints fans should be concerned about? And Liverpool, they've had the odd stutter as well. A 1-1 draw at Fulham and that 1-1 with Big Sam's West Brom. Uh, Again, should they be concerned? When's Thiago back? What do you think?
5: Well, Thiago is apparently back pretty soon and I think that will make a massive difference to those games like the West Brom game. You imagine Thiago in that match, threading balls through, I think West Brom would have found it a lot harder, particularly towards the end of the match. Um, so that would be a massive uh, win for Liverpool. I mean, it's weird, Thiago still hasn't made his home debut for Liverpool, even though he in the at the end of the summer, which is strange. But yeah, I think Liverpool are fine, even you know the, their points total when they haven't been playing that well is is still more than everyone else um yeah i mean the big game on the horizon is obviously they play manchester united in a few Mm. weeks and it could be a retro liverpool united title clash which would be good woof
2: okay two points between them and saints they're in ninth place which is really not too bad at all very good well i know we're all excited to hear everybody's moments of 2020 just a little bit longer before we can get to that. First of all, always good to get some odds on the football coming up from Lee Price of Paddy Power.
6: Hello, listeners. Hope you're well. I'm here with the final list of betting odds 2020. If anyone not interested, fair enough, may I point you to the skip button on your screen. All the best. Right, now it's just us friends here. Let's get to the numbers. The David Moyes but when he's good derby takes place on Friday with both Everton and West Ham eyeing Europe as greedily as Nigel Farage Everton the favourites here at 5-6, to six, but the real story is Moisey himself, who hasn't landed in the top 10 for almost as long as Florence and the Machine. Remember them? Straight after that match is United versus Villa, which should equal goals, but as anyone who fell asleep during the last Old Trafford fixture can attest, it could well equal an on-pitch lockdown where neither team is allowed out of their own half except for Essentials, or something like that anyway. United are favourites of four to six, which means Villa must be value at ten to three. And if you do fancy a goal fest, you can get three to one on there being five or more goals in this one. And finally, to so the relegation six-pointer that only exists in Big Sam's head, West Brom can get draws against Man City Liverpool, but couldn't resist the best team ever, League United, last time out. It's eight to fifteen they lose again to Arsenal. Back-to-back victories for the Gunners meant that Arsenal fan TV at Christmas off, and it's five to one. That the baggies plunge Mick men back into crisis or three to one that Big Sam gets another draw. Happy New Year listeners. Thank you for allowing me to impinge on your favourite podcast this series. Although, even I've skipped at this point. Ugh, never mind. Bye bye. You can
2: find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply and when the fun stops, stop. Well then, Tom... Duncan, Adrian, bit of 2020 vision, eh? With your best moments, Tom, you've got your hand up already.
7: Yeah, no, I'm just going to. i just going to flag up. We've not talked about Newcastle Leicester. I don't know whether you wanted to, but, but there I you go. Know, Maybe this
2: will be one of our highlights of 2021. <laughs> to talk about
7: it, but I'm just flagging it up in case it has no, been. No, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Overlooked
2: we'll be uh recording we'll be coming together to record on on sunday night off the back very much of that and other fixtures and we'll 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 certainly be looking forward to getting into that one but indulge me if if you will now with with some of your highlights from what has been well an extraordinary year in so many ways not least for football Uh, do you have particular things that do you want me to throw a few few out there you Uh, you're Bayern Barcelona 8-2 you're Eric Dyer racing into the stands to confront an an angry fan how about this one something i would completely forgotten Man City's Champions League ban do you remember when they got banned from the Champions League oh yeah that was this year extraordinary anyway what you got then Duncan
5: uh, I enjoyed Barnsley completing their first unbeaten April since 1934, um, mainly because they didn't play any games because of lockdown but that, you know, something to chalk up. Um, Bayern winning as many games in the Champions League as Crystal Palace did in all competitions was, was quite good last season. Um, obviously personally for me seeing can beat Oxford, um, Joe Jacobson Penalty, the true Oxford vaccine in my eyes, um, putting us up into tier two. <laughs> um, Brighton losing a game. We mentioned earlier Brighton being incredibly, incredibly unlucky. Losing a game um, with a girl that came after the final whistle, which I've never seen before, seemed particularly harsh. And then obviously not a moment in itself, but you know after Maradona died and all the uh, all the tributes and all the you know memories, that was. One of the most kind of amazing weeks or two I've ever had with football. You know, seeing mm. seeing stuff I've never seen before. Seeing tributes from people. Uh, you know, from from his childhood and stuff. That was a, you know, obviously extremely sad, but an
4: incredible moment.
2: Not from Adrian though. Adrian went with a story about him, him being angry in his pajamas,
4: memorably. I did, yeah, yeah. Was that was that distasteful? Oh, uh, no. Just, sort of, just you know, give, giving everybody the broader picture of, of, yeah. of the of the of the, the, you know, the complexity of Maradona's life.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that lovely moments there, Duncan Adrian. What stood
4: out for you? Oh. Um, well, a couple of couple of big famous wins. Watford beat in Liverpool to make sure that they they weren't going to be invincibles. So that was oh,
2: because of the that Arsenal was huge. angle. That right. Was
4: huge. Yeah, because a lot of Arsenal fans were very very nervous. Was that the
2: biggest that. moment Arsenal had this
4: year? <laughs> quite when quite Watford beat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love Villa. Spanking Liverpool was was unbelievable. And Villa Park was probably home to the most controversial moment in my eyes, right. and that's and that's the uh, Hawkeye breakdown. Yeah. Um, with that goal, that was that that was ridiculous. Quite frankly, not not the technology breaking down, but it was ridiculous that VAR didn't didn't step in and make sure that that, that goal wasn't given.
2: Mm. I should just leap in and say, of course, Arsenal have had plenty of big moments. Apart from that uh, Watford win, because they they won two bits of silverware
4: this well, year, that, didn't they? That, that's my uh, my favourite moment of 2020 is undoubtedly. Pierre and Rick dropping the FA Cup. It was it was a truly calamitous moment because he made the same mistake not once, not twice, about three, maybe four times. And and it just struck me that this is probably someone that grew up in you know, in Gabon and maybe maybe getting to, to watch the odd FA Cup final, but clearly he'd never stuck around for the trophy lift. Because no, 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 no. it was
5: Go Just to disagree, isn't this specifically because of COVID though? Because normally they unscrew that bit from the bottom so they they can lift it up. But he, so he was left to his own devices because they didn't have anyone helping the the winning captain. But so.
4: anyone that's watched football in their life knows that you do you don't lift the FA Cup by the plinth it's just it's just it's just too shaky you 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 take it off and 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 yeah it it was a comedy moment on the back of a great performance actually from Arsenal that shouldn't shouldn't be forgotten in that sort of cup final where there were no fans such a such a sort of strange Mm. environment but yeah Bamiyang dropping the cup that was my favourite moment Tom I've quite enjoyed being able to hear uh, what's going on
7: on the pitch, which has been one of the few upsides to games being played behind closed doors.
1: Kepper, um, Kepper.
7: Personal highlights include <laughs> Newcastle's Matt Ritchie being caught saying to a linesman, How have you given that, you wee dick? Um, <laughs> which I thought was actually quite restrained, as insults go. Uh, and also Rob Holding uh, complaining that Adama had gone down too easily for someone who was built like a brick house. Uh, again to use his words and also just sort of the the banality of things like just hearing how footballers call for the ball by shouting each other's names i mean of Mm. course they do that's how everyone demands the ball but it's there's something about hearing uh you know superstar footballers um shouting at each other in the same way that you might expect to hear on hackney marshes on a sunday morning that's quite amusing um From a a sort of Premier League results perspective, uh, I think Adrian mentioned Liverpool losing 7-2 at Villa Park on the same day that Man United lost 6-1 at home to Tottenham, uh, October the 4th. I don't think there has ever been um, two more eyebrow-raising results on the same day in the entire Premier League era. Um, And if I have to pick out one individual moment from the whole year Um, it would be Lionel Messi's dummy that set up Antoine Griezmann to score against Real Betis in November. Not sure if you remember this one. Cross comes into the box from the left and Messi, the ball, the goalkeeper and two defenders all converge at the near post. And Messi jumps over the ball and gives Griezmann a tap in. And i watched it quite a lot. And it has the the beautiful audacity of a magic trick because the ball's coming in and you, you can only see... Messi attempting to score from it and then he steps over the ball, leaves the way clear for Griezmann and it it, it reminds me of the, um, as it reminded plenty of people I'm sure, of the, the famous Pelé dummy against Uruguay at the 1970 World Cup. But of all the football things that I've watched this year, I think that put the biggest smile on my face.
2: Oh brilliant, alright well but many other highlights that so no doubt listeners would have like Liverpool winning the title, Scotland qualifying for their first major tournament since France 98 when they booked their passage to euro 2020 coxie winning the inter totally was another massive highlight and jack lang's come up and probably also i mean certainly one of the most controversy tinged tournament that has to be mm. said right and and speaking of con- controversy one of the most uh, extraordinary moments of 2020 probably the recent champions league game when the psg and basak here teams both left the field after those words from the the fourth official to um the basak Shahir assistant manager the uh, the fallout of which I guess is ongoing. Did Did UEFA ever come up with a, a verdict on that? I think
7: we're still waiting for UEFA's verdict.
2: All right, then. Well, it has been an extraordinary 12 months. Alex Cooney says if they do go ahead with the two-week COVID break, would you guys be continuing the year-by-year Champions League series? I'll definitely need the podcast fix. Alex, of course, we will continue. We'll probably throw in a... Uh, into totally community shield in there as well or, or or something um but but anyway fingers crossed we, it, it doesn't come to that uh, whatever you've been doing during your year many thanks for keeping it totally and uh we look forward to 2021 and all the football it brings many thanks to to tom and adrian and duncan uh for being with us today anything else you want to add before we wrap this up for this year
4: no happy new year guys
2: Happy New Year to you as well, Adrian and Tom and Duncan and to producer Charlie. So often up into the wee small hours, pasting it all together from bits of old clips. And you most of all, listener of course, do join us again then on Monday the 4th of January as we begin this brand new year. Have a special New Year's Eve and we'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to The Totally
7: Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places, or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power.
1: Muddy Knees Media. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events?